stupid. He comes across in front of me every single time he overtakes. Where does he want me to go off the track? No! Stop talking to me in the braking zone! And so it came to pass, Sebastian Vettel and James Hinchcliffe, winning at the same time, summoned me back from the dead. How about that? Welcome back to Motorsport 101. Yes, the ritual was a success. <laughs> Both my creative sons winning has brought me back. It's me, Andre Harrison. Welcome to episode 149 of Motorsport 101. Thank you very much for tuning in as always, and pleasure to be back. I know a lot of people messaged me about me not being around, and uh, I like just to, just as a disclaimer, <laughs> I don't have a favourite show. I know I've not missed the bike live <laughs> in a long time. It's just been the way these recordings have worked out. Sorry about that. I had to bust my nuts over several days of let's just say awkwardly placed overtime to get to this point but i'm here and that's good to know so thanks for coming everybody um pleasure to be back as always and uh loaded show coming into this week it's absolutely stacked um with god all sorts of formula one formula two tinfoil hat related goodness um so we got all we got all the talk from the british grand prix this past weekend all the talk from formula 2 including one very very spicy antics of an american in that field and indy cars iowa corn 300 as well so where um tactics may have come into play was lewis hamilton may or may not say uh, joining me on this week's edition of the show First of all, he's run out of backup teams to support in the World Cup. Mr. Ryan King, hello, sir. Everyone's gone. Everyone's gone. Mbappe, please bring it home, please. Please. <laughs> he's resorting to backing the French. It's come to this. <laughs> oh, Can that, I that's... point out that Belgium's actually ranked third in the world? Yeah, FIFA's they... rankings have, like, big problems. Yeah, Switzerland were ranked sixth because they basically play a dozen friendlies every year. Like, do not read into the FIFA World Rankings, okay? Okay. That's for people people that are crazy. Right. In the blue corner, as always, Tennessee's finest, Mr. RJ O'Connell. Hello, sir. Howdy. Uh, It's actually actually, um, Rory O'Konchich. Um, I've I jumped on the uh, the Croatia bandwagon. I believe that's pretty much what everybody is doing when they want just want England to have a little bit of hubris. I'm fine with the final four that we've got in this World Cup. France is fun. Belgium's fun. Um, Croatia's fun. England, well, in theory, they're fun. They've got a lot of good players. Um, I, I'm content with this. We're recording this before the semifinals, so chances are by the time you're listening to this, England will have brought it home, or it will have made a uh, permanent detour uh, uh, through uh, Zagreb, Croatia. It took a left turn at Albuquerque. <laughs> um, but uh, yes, it is indeed the World Cup semi-final starting tomorrow. France, Belgium tomorrow, England, Croatia on fra- on Wednesday, I should say. And uh, yeah, the entire country here is in a state of pause. Like I guarantee you, it is going to like the streets will be empty. On Wednesday night, like I, I, yeah, I, I, y'all, y'all been taking it way too far. I mean, raiding IKEAs and turning it into your own playground for Bill's mafia bullshit. Come on. To be fair, we do that with IKEAs most weeks, but like, 
Unfortunately, somebody happened to record it that day. Um, <laughs> nobody goes to Ikea to shop for stuff. They go in there to eat meatballs and, and, and basically, like, slightly rough up, like, a furnishing in the background or something. It's crazy. Jump and, through table And have shirtless. a full breakfast for, like, two pounds. Sure, sure. <laughs> even, even the people who work there, like, one of them got in, like, got involved in the celebrations and everyone else who weren't, clearly weren't football fans were just laughing their asses off. The funnier clip was the guy that jumped through the bus stop and actually fell through the ceiling. <laughs> I know. Oh That's where I got the feeling, like, are they trying to start their own hashtag Three Lions Mafia now? <laughs> three Lions Mafia. We're going we're gonna to jump through the bus stop. And then, you know what's funny? The guy jumped through the bus stop, which is covered in glass, smashes through to the ground, and walks away like nothing happened. I find that incredibly impressive, personally. And in my best Joey Styles voice, OH MY GOD! <laughs> Oh my but part god! Of, part of me wants to see a France a France England final and France bring it home. Oh my goodness! If you thought the people had jokes when when Germany got chased out of Russia, oh wait boy. till we hear all these France England <laughs> jokes. Oh lord! If, if, if all that, the people who pass high school history are going to have so much material. Work if on. that happens, King is getting the piñata treatment. We cannot have the French win again. Why? Why? They're because good. And, because Anton Griezmann is an arsehole, okay? <laughs> the man thinks he's LeBron James. I cannot have the French win this. I'll be happy for but, Kylian Mbappe and Kylian Mbappe only, <laughs> okay? The rest the of you are cancelled. The kids not, from not Claire Fontaine Paul, enjoy this. Not even Paul Pogba? He plays for your team, my man. <laughs> uh, okay, Paul Pogba is the only other excuse on this one because Paul Pogba is actually having a really good tournament. See what happens when you don't play under Jose Mourinho? It's amazing what happens. Also, it's almost like he's a bit overrated. At this point, I would like to remind everyone that the old alliance was a pile of shit. Supporting <laughs> France if it comes up to that. And I'd like to, uh, and I'd like to remind everybody here that the, the, the bitter Scotswoman has joined us. Hello, Zoe Hamilton. <laughs> I'm not bitter. The real world comes next year in Japan. Cancelled. Whoa, um, whoa, whoa, whoa! Just, just to know that there's also another World Cup next year in England. For a sport that probably no one cares about. Which World Cup is this, King? Uh, the Cricket World Cricket? Cup. Twenty. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's in England next year. Yep, no one cares. Next. Um, yeah. <laughs> places you can find us real quick. We're on YouTube.com forward slash Motorsport 101. We're on Facebook.com forward slash Motorsport 101. We're on Twitter at Motorsport underscore 101. And if you'd like to follow our personal handles, you can do that at Harrison101HD, at RJ O'Connell, at Ryan Eric King, that's with two Ks, and at we Zoe. Um, and if you want to really, really like us, you could back us on Patreon. Now, I have to say as well, the biggest explosion of Patreon support in the history of Motorsport 101, where I, I, thi- I think we had four new Patreon backers in the space of a week. It, it, like, it's... it's um, I have to say, that's utterly insane. You people are crazy. What the hell are you doing? Um, but sincerely, thank you all so much. It's been incredible. Um, we've actually enabled us to hit the $125 target we set up about a year and a half ago, which we never actually thought we'd get to. Um, so... As a result of that, I'll be now giving away a t-shirt every month. Hey, who doesn't like a good giveaway? <laughs> but um, sincere thanks um, to Andrew Kissinger, who's back backing us on Patreon. So thanks a lot, Andrew. Thanks to Black and Mild, and thanks to Stephen Ryan as well, who all backed us at a $10 level. So thank you all so much yeah. for that. Um, you guys are incredibly generous. Much, much appreciated, all of you. Thank you all so much. We have the most 
amount of Patreon backers and total funding we have ever had. Sincerely, thank you. It's um, it's utterly insane. And if you'd like to join us on on the uh, on the clear Patreon hype train that we've we've amassed for ourselves in the last week or so, um, if you, if you can again, Patreon.com forward slash Motorsport One Hundred One. At five dollars, you get early access to both this show and our brotherly show bike live as well. Episode 67 went live this past weekend, talking, well, about Let's Cut to the Chase, one of the greatest MotoGP races of all time, um, the Dutch the Dutch TT at Assen, an all-time classic, where basically eight men decided to beat the shit out of each other, and a bike race broke out afterwards. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the, the race so great, MotoGP is putting it out for free as an ad for Video Pass. Yeah, they, like and I, I, I don't think it applies now, but I think over the Sunday at the weekend, um, they they put the whole race on the video pass for free, which is very generous of them, I must say. Um, those guys like a good PR stunt in, in the social media team, uh, to say the least. But yeah, it's well worth the watch. It may or may not be on YouTube. But um, in the meantime, I just want to point out as well, it was, it's an absolute classic race. If you have not seen it, you have no excuse. Go out of your way to watch it. There was 175 overtakes in a 28-lap race. Um, it was the closest top 15 in the history of MotoGP. Only 16 seconds covered all the points-paying positions. And amazingly, Danny Pedrosa was the guy in 15th who rounded that off. It says a lot about the quality of the field. Um, Mark Marquez breaking off and taking the victory. Ahead of Alex Rins, who had a career-high finish for himself and, and for Suzuki. Their best finish in almost two years. Um, Lorenzo played a key part in the front. Dovi was involved. Valentino was involved. Maverick Vinales was back on the podium. It's an all-time classic. Go out of your way to see it. We review that to break down all the action, as well as Moto2, um, where Pecco Bagnaia took his fourth win of the season in dominant fashion, and Moto3, where Jorge Martin goes, went back to the winner's circle as Marco Brzecchi made his first real mistake of the season with a last-lap crash and a very dramatic race indeed. But uh, if you have not seen it yet, go out of your way to see it. Thank me later. Um, more on that at the end of the show as well. So, yeah, $5 gets you access to both this show and Bike Live. $10 gets you into our Discord server where you can hear me banter and moan about motorsport with a bunch of other people. And you can listen to these shows as they go out live. So, you know, you can listen in. That's always fun. The amount of stuff that's left on the cutting room floor is well worth the 10 bucks alone. Hey, if Hazel can say that, I can say it too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You can also learn about unusual things like the John Cena dating game. Oh god. Why do we keep inviting Zoe back on this show? <laughs> Anyone? Uh, because Zoe Hamilton is wonderful and we appreciate her very, very much. She's the eighth, she's, she's the eighth circle of hell at this point. <laughs> oh dear. I just love in the sun, Ben. Yeah, the third floor at this point. We've had to build an extension in the last fortnight, and just thought I'd point that out. But uh, yeah, yeah, it, the, it, yeah. The, speaking the of Fortnite, it is, named it, is being, it is being built up like some sort of Fortnite uh, fort, just like at just like at haphazard speed. <laughs> Some somebody buys Zoe some V bucks for season five, right? Without further ado, after this quick musical interlude, we'll get into the 2018 British Grand Prix. Es kommt nach Haus! Es kommt nach Haus!
<laughs> and you thought it was coming home, didn't you? <laughs> S Copnahouse! S Copnahouse! Sebastian Vettel had other ideas. More on that in a second, but uh Oh, it was it was quite a crazy Grand Prix weekend in general. I mean, 340,000 fans basically taking out mortgages so they could afford to go to the Grand Prix. We are a dedicated bunch. 340,000 people paid way too much to be at this event. Oh my god. Yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy for all the, the all the talk about how jacked up the ticket prices are and the fact that you can now take out a finance plan on a frigging Grand Prix ticket. It still drew 140,000 on race day, which is the, by far the most we get at any Grand Prix on the calendar. Um, it's bonkers to say the least. And all and 100,000 people got to see Lewis Hamilton score his sixth straight pole position in the land of Silverstone with a ironic 0.44 winning margin over Sebastian Vettel. God freaking damn it. No. Uh. That's what we call hashtag blessed. Yeah, like he's so on brand, even his hot laps are on brand. God, it's a pain. Also, I want to point out as well, who else saw Brendan Hartley's spectacular incident in FP3 where basically the left suspension unit pretty much entirely collapsed and it was terrifying? Oh, yeah. yeah. And, that set Pierre, and that set Pierre Gasly back as a consequence because they, the FIA basically told him, hey, you cannot run Gasly's car until you change out all the suspension parts as a precaution to make sure that doesn't happen to him, too. Yeah, that was terrifying and completely understandable because, <sighs> dear Lord, the whole... like, it, it, If anyone's ever remembered the Sebastian Buemi one from a few years ago in China... Mm. Um, Pretty much a carbon copy only on one side rather than both, as if that makes it any better. But, uh, oh boy, that was uh, not pretty, to say the least. I, me and my mum were watching free practice, mm. and when they started changing the bits, mum was like, what if the, the issues are with the replacement parts as well? What, or what if the parts already there are fine, but they're about to put on faulty parts? Mm. It's, like, it's like, don't don't start being like... Yeah, like, usually... With a situation like with a suspension failure, it's normally not like a manufacturing defect. It's usually wear and tear. So they probably been yeah. running it for so so long that like eventually they just failed. I, I uh-huh. can't remember anything like that happening since like 2002 at Barcelona, where the minority's wings were just failing left and right, and they told them basically, <laughs> "Yeah, you can't race like this." And they were just like, "Okay, we'll try again next weekend." Freaking out. Uh, luckily they were able to get it fixed for the race itself he did not take part in qualifying due to the damage sustained from the car again big shot into the tire wall Halo did the business well played Um, so yeah that was good to know race day and um, I distinctively remember putting it out on Twitter at roughly 2.09pm saying this may come down to the launch off the line here and uh My prayers were answered. (laughs) (laughs) The racing gods took pity on me for once. Um, Lewis Hamilton bogs down on the start. Sebastian is already about three car lengths clear by the end of turn two. He's taken off into the distance. Hamilton's getting pushed wide by his own teammate. Um, Hamilton takes the wider line into turn three under braking. Kimi Raikkonen tries to move into turn three himself. He breaks a little bit too late. He locks up and, oh, no, the hometown hero has gone round. Oh, dear God. <laughs> oh, so you mean to tell me it's not coming home? Um, <laughs> well, maybe, but not at the time, so we thought. Um, 
I mean, a lot of people have tried to, you know, analyse and break this down. Remember that it becomes important later because it comes yeah. up a lot at the in the post race shenanigans. But let's let's talk about it quickly here. I think it's pretty straightforward. Raikkonen just outbreaks himself. I mean, people were a few people were debating that Hamilton may not give it a room. I think Hamilton was more than generous in mm-hmm. terms of room. It's just a silly mistake from Kimi um, mm-hmm. on lap one, and he was given a ten second time penalty for it, which I think was was pretty fair, to be honest with you. So I ain't, any, I ain't got any arguments with that. Um, maybe a little bit in terms of stewarding inconsistency, but you know. I, I know friend of the show Danny mentioned this where he talked about how because the, the comparisons were made with this and Paul Ricard where Vettel got five seconds for a similar incident on Valtteri Bottas um, they said well Vettel's race was ruined too hence why it was only five seconds that probably shouldn't come into account when judging an incident but mm-hmm. yeah, it just does when it comes to the stewards I mean Look at, for example, we'll get to this in a little bit, but Grosjean and Sainz, they had an incident in the second half of the race. They were both out of the race, but the stewards deemed no further action, even though it was blatantly Grosjean's fault. <laughs> like, it's it, 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 it's a bit weird, steward and inconsistency, but I think in a vacuum, I think 10 seconds was fine, King? Yeah, 10 seconds was fine. I'm was fine. that not the same penalty that Verstappen got for hitting Vettel in China? Yeah, he got 10 for that. Yeah, I, I think that's that's more than fair. Yeah, I, I was fine with that uh, personally. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was a it was a bit silly from Kimmy. It was an honest to god mistake. Um, again, more on that later. But uh, yeah, Vettel was gone. Valtteri was up into second place, and the race sort of settled down for a bit. Apart from Lewis Hamilton driving like a man possessed, um, he was he was dropped to the back of the field after the incident. Amazingly, the car was fine. It took a hefty clout, but no real damage sustained. Like, like the uh, the Mercs. he didn't feel like he didn't feel internally like everything was fine. Like he uh-huh. felt like something was broken in the car. He says as he's passing multiple cars yeah. in a single lap. Um, yeah, it's like <sighs> go on, sorry. Williams must have been sit like if they heard like Lewis going, "My car's broken, my car's broken." Williams must have sat there going, "Yeah, just give us your broken car." <laughs> that would be nice. We'll take it. Yeah, please, because uh, Lewis Hamilton, he, he obviously he was dropped to the back of the field after the incident on the opening lap. By lap 10, he was back up into sixth place, having passed every single other car that wasn't one of his standard rivals, i.e. the two <laughs> Ferraris, the two Red Bulls, and his teammate. Um, that was lap 10. <laughs> I just want to point out that he carved the entire midfield up in basically nine laps. Um, if that doesn't scream performance difference, I don't know what does. I, like, don't get me wrong, Lewis Hamilton drove an absolutely blinding race. Um, his pace was astonishing. Also, at certain points, he was going a second and a half a lap faster than everybody else. Um, it's, it's... It was mesmerizing to watch at one point. Um, And give credit to Kimi Raikkonen as well, mm, because he had to take the 10-second penalty during his stop. So that sent him a ways back, and sure enough, that that Ferrari's quick. He was carving through the field as well. He was. He really was. Obviously, he didn't lose as much time, but he, he he made critical moves on the Red Bulls when he needed to. And yeah, again, took the ten seconds. You know, in the pits for his uh, one of one was one stop, well, one of two stops for the day. But um, yeah, again, just 
they, they did what they needed to do. I mean, yeah, we, we've talked about this many a time on the show in the past that, you know, the performance difference between the midfield and the big three yeah. is huge. We're not, it's, uh, we're not, we're not it's, denying it's this. It's not great. And we could, we know the reasons why. We could get into it for days, you know, monetary gains and, you know, the prize money situation and the development race that comes along with that. You know the drill. But it's it sucks because we would I would normally take a lot of pleasure out of seeing someone like Lewis Hamilton go through the field, but I didn't because he just it was over. Like like within fifteen minutes he was back into sixth place, and I'm like, well, what's the point? <laughs> like like the the, the the time delta differences were so huge, it just sucked the fun out of it. Really, um, it's a shame because like it's 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 majestic watching him do that. He's so fast around this circuit, it's utterly bonkers. But oh. My gosh! Um, within lap, I think it was lap ten. He passed Nico Hulkenberg, and he was up into sixth place. And he was basically, it was I think he was about twenty five seconds or so behind Sebastian by the time that you know that field had shaken out a little bit. Um, but that's kind of where the race slowed down for a bit. Sebastian had pulled out a six second lead. It turns out the Ferrari were kind of worse on their tires in the second half of the race where Valtteri was slowly reeling Sebastian back in on the harder tyre. Mercs and their tyre problems all over again. It's like, oh, this time it's Ferrari's turn. <laughs> Fucking great. And then I was like... I was sitting there nervously sweating away as, as, as Valtteri was starting to take like a little, like, like two or three temps a lap out of Seb. And then the race changed dramatically around the, around the two-thirds distance mark. I think it was about 17 laps to go. Marcus Ericsson has... Yes, lap 34, yep. and you know whose fault it is. That's right. It's hashtag Ericsson's fault. Uh, because, no. because, we're, because we're not done beating that dead horse. I want to just throw off on a tangent here, and we'll promise I'll get right back to this. Has anybody ever noticed that, like, with NASCAR and IndyCar memes, they do not expire as badly as when Formula One memes get beat into the ground? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Probably because they're not getting beaten into the guard. Right. Yeah. Uh, Hashtag don't forget the heat. Don't forget the heat. But to be fair, it's like this one really was Marcus Ericsson's fault. I mean, he just he probably takes a little bit too much curb going into turn one, loses the front, completely spins around and smashes into that outside wall at turn one. Um, and it was basically a carbon copy of Romain Grosjean's in FP1. It was pretty much the exact same spot they, the car ended up being in the end. Um, oh, yeah. And there's one other key point to uh, to do this. Um, hmm. Ericsson's DRS didn't close when he approached turn one. This becomes important because, again, Silverstone has adopted the 3RS model. They put theirs through the middle of Abbey Corner, which is a high-speed, high-downforce right-hand corner, where you kind of need all that lateral grip that you can get. So mm, if that yeah. DRS wing doesn't close in time, you're going to be taken for a ride Marvel vs. Capcom 2 style. Oh, God, yeah. And not only does it need to close, it, you need to get the grip back because... I'm pretty sure was it Sergey's rocket in, in practice said that oh, yeah, uh, his yeah. wing had closed, but the the airflow didn't attach back to the wing yet, so he had like no grip through the corner despite the DRS not being open. Who added that third DRS there? Whose idea was this? <laughs> I want them shot. You know who's. I want them shot. You know who's. 
Listen, when I joke about the fact that they should put DRS through, like, dangerously fast high-speed corners, that isn't what I had in mind. Put it through Rattalon, please, you cowards. <laughs> RJ, we're not telling actually, actually, Actually put it through Curva Grande so it could be more than just, you know, a bendy straight. But we'll get to that bridge when we get there. We, we are not turning Eau Rouge into a launch pad, okay? We're, we're not joining the space race yet, okay? <laughs> like seriously but uh yeah bad idea there wasn't a single overtaking to turn one like i just like that drs zone did not need to be there whatsoever it just caused more problems than it was ever intended to fix and yeah marcus erickson was a victim of that unfortunately he puts it in the wall luckily he was okay he walked away from it quick magical check once over he was fine but it caused a safety car and of the top six runners everybody went in for new tires Except for Valtteri Bottas at the front. Remember that. It becomes important later. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. Valtteri like, was, is, is now in the lead of the race. We have 15 laps to go on the restart. And, well, we were, we were going to... I mean, for the one lap we had, we had an excellent reel-to-wheel fight between Kimi Raikkonen and Max Verstappen, which was utterly fantastic. Um, down the Wellington Straight, Raikkonen passes Verstappen. Doesn't even need DRS to do it. Got a brilliant run down down through turn four um goes round, takes t- takes a position but then verstappen goes round the outside onto the old uh, onto the old start finish straight and then takes the position back it was fantastic and fun and i thought oh this is, this is gonna be a fantastic slugfest and then oh wait uh, romain grosjean's binned it and carlos signs is in the cautions wall. breed cautions folks <laughs> yep and next thing you know it's another safety car because uh carlos signs he was on the it was on a new set of soft tires went up against Romain Grosjean on a, on a huge set of medium tires and Grosjean trying to take the narrow line into cops uh, oversteers the front of the car and collects signs he was trying to go around the outside of him and they're both in the wall I love yeah that's about the worst place you could have a wheel to wheel collision yeah at this track about 170 miles an hour through the apex of that corner uh, not pretty um <laughs> Luckily, again, both guys are okay. And I love that both guys immediately blamed each other. Vintage racing driver <laughs> excuses right here, folks. <laughs> Grosjean was immediately saying, oh, you know, signs turned into me. And signs was coming out saying that Grosjean oversteered into him. The replays kind of show that Grosjean was banged to rights. Uh, he, he, yeah, he, and now Grosjean is a bit in Gunther Steiner's doghouse with Steiner saying that he basically needs to start performing again. Uh-oh. This just weeks after he finally got his first points, and now he's back in the doghouse. A week ago after having Haas's best ever finish in a race. <laughs> like, jeez. Um, <laughs> Grosjean back in the dog pound again. Um, not good for him. Uh, and that, Yeah, that really was Grosjean's fault, really. He, 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 he had a bit of oversteer going on the apex of the corner. Loses the front of the car, and, well, signs just got collected. Um, that bred out another yellow flag. Um, they cleared those cars out of the way. We started up again, I think, with about nine laps to go. And uh, King, yeah. we saw a beautiful thing on track afterwards. We actually had the four best cars in Formula 1 pretty much lying astern, all fighting each other at the same time. What a beautiful sight. <laughs> it took it took so long. It took us five so long years. we got here. It took us four. Was it four and a half years of these hybrids? And we finally got wheel-to-wheel action between the four best cars in Formula 1, all within, like, a, I'd say about 0.6 of each other. It was beautiful. Um, it was a work of art. 
Um, again, Valtteri at the front now on severely used medium tyres, basically now defending like his life depended on it, trying to protect the victory. Sebastian was right behind him on the, on a new set of soft tyres, trying to overtake. Right behind him was Lewis Hamilton waiting to pounce. Hell, even Kimi Raikkonen in fourth was having a couple of goes at, at Hamilton down the old hangar straight. <laughs> <laughs> and Raikkonen couldn't quite get it done on Hamilton, and he ended up dropping off, but... In the highly climatic battle for the win, if, with six laps to go, after Valtteri tried and tried and tried, and to be fair, I have to actually thank that third DRS zone because it actually got seven extra couple of attempts every time he went down it with the DRS wing open, getting him nice and close for for you know consistent attacks going down the Wellington straight. But he finally put one down the inside, and I may or may not have shouted, "That's for Baku, you motherfucker!" After that move had happened. <laughs> Um, oh, it was beautiful. It, and that was just a few, handful of laps after Botas slamming the door in his face on lap 42. Yeah. At the same corner. Same corner. A very, very late move in the braking zone there from Valter to, to desperately defend that move, but he, he just could not hang on any longer. The tyres were gone, and he was eventually passed a lap later by Lewis Hamilton, who obviously had to was probably told, listen, get the hurry up, otherwise you're not going to win this race. Uh, Lewis passes Valtteri a lap later. Kimi Raikkonen comes through the lap after that. Valtteri uh, sadly sinks to fourth. One of these days, that man's going to catch a break. Today is not that day, um, the poor dude. <laughs> nope. But uh, as a result of that, Sebastian Vettel wins um, a, a real sucker punch to basically a, a German to take the British Grand Prix. Um, you know, one that all the Hamilton fans have been waiting to see. This is after Hamilton cried after that pole position lap he put through. Um, more on Lewis's emotional state very shortly, but uh, just, just worth, worth pointing out, and I'm, I'm being the humble brag mentioning this, that's his 51st Grand Prix victory, which now puts him joint third all-time with the great Alan Prost, which, uh, given that Alan Prost is one of my favourite racing drivers of all time and the one GOAT contender that no one talks about, I'm honoured to have Sebastian number three side-by-side side with, with such a brilliant driver in Alan Prost. That's... And now we're watching two of the top three of all time race pretty much every other weekend. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. That's we awesome. Two of the five best racing drivers like F1's ever seen at the same time battling head to head every weekend. We are spoiled. We are fucking Though, spoiled sometimes. I do have to mention something that uh, someone has been defending a record really hard so far this year. Oh, yeah? Because at the start of the year, remember... Uh, Lewis Hamilton was three grand slams away from the record, and we are a year and we're we're a year separated from the last time he had a grand slam. Devastated. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I just be quiet. And also, just to note that only uh, I believe I think four yeah four drivers have ever gotten three grand slams in a single season, an entire season. So it's looking highly unlikely that Lewis will be able to get three Grand Slams this year, even though Lewis is one of the four who have done it, and that was last year, but my times have changed. They have indeed. Oh, goodness. Um, I, I, I... Eight Grand Slams and 72 races. <laughs> so he's not going to let that one go, is she? Not in a million years. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, as mentioned, uh, Lewis Hamilton was in second place, and Kimi Raikkonen, despite the penalty, back on top. Um, in, in, in third as well. So his, his, his third straight podium. The only man to have podiums in the last three races, unbelievably. 
This is it's Raikkonen's time. It's Raikkonen's time. He is there for that next one year yep. deal. <laughs> we have, and you know what? Here's the thing. I'm I, I wouldn't be upset if he got another one out of this. I really why wouldn't. not? Like seriously, I mentioned it two weeks ago. Like, what's the hurry here? Like, like Ferrari are leading both championships. Raikkonen is is playing the backup role that we always kind of wanted him to do. If we were, if we were talking about you know if Ferrari are insistent on a one and two system and they're insistent on going all in on Sebastian to win the title. This is exactly what Kimi Raikkonen needs to be doing, beating Valtteri more frequently, and that's what he's done for the last three or four rounds now. So, um, you know, Raikkonen is, is, is playing his role in this championship. Now he's 12 points ahead of Valtteri in the championship, with Seb being eight points ahead of Hamilton. He's doing what he needs to do. So the way... We love you, Rubens! <laughs> <laughs> we do love you, Rubens. Um, but, uh, yeah, as I mentioned... That was the podium, and uh, whew, it got a little spicy after said podium. Uh, park. F- <sighs> oh boy, goodness! I can't believe I'm even breaking this down. But uh, for case you guys have not been paying attention to post races recently, Formula One earlier this season started adopting a new policy of interviewing the drivers in the Park Ferme area immediately after the race. Very reminiscent to what MotoGP yeah. has done for the last few years. Uh, immediate post-race Yeah, interviews. if you've seen anything that's been innovated in Formula 1, chances are it's been cribbed from MotoGP, from Park Ferme interviews to individual driver numbers to most of the graphics that you now see on Formula yeah. 1 television yeah. today. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, because Daughter's the best in the business production-wise. I've always said that. Um, Listen to Bike Black on MotoSport. <laughs> go on, go on, sorry. IndyCar always interviews the winner from the podium, or from as he's getting out the car as well. Is, 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 oh, has yeah. anyone got a hashtag that guy here? Um, uh, yeah, uh, so does so does NASCAR. That's kind of like an what guy? Thing. That guy. <laughs> In this case, those guys. Um, but uh, yeah, quite right. So yeah, Formula One's adopted a new policy this year of interviewing drivers immediately after the session is finished. We've seen it in qualifying for the last year and a half now, and it's now gone to Park Ferme interviews in the race instead of being on the podium afterwards. Um, Sebastian and Kimi had no problem with that. Um, Lewis Hamilton had already bolted. Um, he had uh, basically stormed off after the race and went straight to the you know the upper stage, you know, pre-podium room that you always get on TV before the actual podium celebration begins. He'd stormed off up there, um, and everybody lost their goddamn minds over this. Um, Hamilton had his interview off the, the podium the thing- instead, basically. Find him! <laughs> the thing was, when Martin goes like, now to Lewis, you actually—if you look in the background, you can see Lewis walking right. away. Right. But um, Lewis Hamilton claimed he was so exhausted after the race that uh, he had, and, and that he could barely stand, so that uh, he had taken the time to power walk off the Park Ferme area and gone upstairs instead, for, clearly for the bottle of water he so desperately needed. Um, Listen, listen. You could just, you could just say you really had to shit. It's fine. Jimmy <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Reckonen did that twelve years ago. Everyone loves him for it. You can be honest with yourself, yeah. Lewis. Everybody loves a good shit in post pre post race joke. We all love that crap, uh, figuratively and literally. But praise, praise me. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Hamilton had his interview post um, post podium. He said Brundle had come back. I was like, "Oh look, Brundle's following him up. Great, <laughs> Brundle's like, I'm getting this interview, <laughs> and that's the law." Um, but uh, yeah, Hamilton was his usual, you know, greatest fans in the world, best fans, etc. You know, post race, you know, interview and whatnot. And uh, 
People have, a lot of people on Twitter have bombarded me for my opinion on this because I'm like Mr. Judgment on Lewis Hamilton all of a sudden. I don't know why. Because on a personal standpoint, it's like people either think I really hate Lewis or that I really like him and there's like no middle ground in between and it's really hard to get that across. So I'm going to come out with a pre-prepared statement. <clears throat> Lewis Hamilton is a bad loser and that's okay. Seriously, that's okay. And I, I've, I've written articles about this in the past, and I've talked about it on Twitter before. Like, I wish Lewis Hamilton was a bit more honest and just said he wasn't in the mood for an interview. I think people would have been a lot more understanding given that he had just <laughs> basically lost out of the chance to win his home Grand Prix and it wasn't his fault. He was the victim of somebody else's mistake. I think it would have been understandable if he if, if he was a, in a bit of a bad mood after that race had finished. Um, I have no problem with post-race interviews, personally. Um, again, as mentioned, Dawn has been doing it for years, and it's never been a problem. I just don't know why it's a problem the moment Lewis Hamilton is the victim. When Hamilton is the victim in any scenario, the procedure gets criticised. It doesn't happen with anybody else, but when it's Lewis Hamilton, shit has to go down. When he's taking Snapchat fil- filters and, and pictures during a a press conference, then we start debating the press conference. Uh, we did that last year on this show, we were me and King butted heads on that one. And it, it, This year, it's now post-race interviews, and the nature of interviewing them straight out of the car, or interviewing them on the podium five minutes later, which is only a problem if Nelson PK's up there um, basically being a bit creepy. Um, so, it, it's... Yeah. Right. For me... Yeah, go on. Yeah, and and there's a there's a big reason why they're doing this as well because n- not in every country that carries Formula One racing do are you able to get the hours upon hours of Sky Sports mm, post race mm. coverage. Sometimes you want you want to just get in the post race interviews and hear from the winning drivers before the TV time frame runs right. out. That's why they did in MotoGP, and that's why they're doing it yep. in Formula One. And that's why they do it in both NASCAR and IndyCar. Yeah, you've got, yeah. You got to cram the time in. Not, like, not every TV network's got the luxury of Sky where they can run for another hour after the race finishes. It was like, I, honestly, I, I, I was out during, like, I was at home during the race. I was getting ready for dinner. And, like, I was going up. I went downstairs, had, you know, had a quick bite to eat, went up. And I was like, the post-race coverage is still going. Like, like yeah, let, let's interview, like, like 17th place finisher Charles Leclerc. And I'm like, you know, they're still going. They're going to go through the whole grid, but like, like as I mentioned, like this is not the first time Lewis has done something like this or something similar to that effect, or he said something stupid after the race because on said podium he basically implied that Kimi Raikkonen may have done it on purpose. Um, so oh, and Mercedes had his back. I believe it was James Allison who basically said it was. Uh, I forget what his words were. Um, that it was. Toto Wolf it said it was that... either it was said it was it was either incompetence or deliberate. Oh, okay. So it was I had Toto, to run for, it, 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 it was Toto Wolf that said that in the post race in interview with Sky Sports F1. That's what Toto had said, and Lewis Hamilton described it as interesting tactics from the other side. Um, and like again, we're not stupid, Lewis. We know exactly what you're trying to say. Um, you're basically implying that Kimi may have done it on purpose or may have taken a command from Ferrari to take Hamilton out of the race so that Sebastian can go through and win. And 
I'm going to be real with you here, people. This is a dark path that you don't want to go down if you can avoid it. Like, I don't think... Oh, no, no. Like, and... if, if push come to shove and they're like, the FIA is like, so, like, guys, are going to file a complaint saying that, you know, Ferrari fixed the race result? They're going to not file a complaint because, again, I don't think they're taking this 100% seriously. Yeah. Um... I mean... Oh, sorry. One of the things is, like, when Lewis isn't happy with how a race goes... Like Tyler, he does this every time. I mean, even you go all the way back to his first season, mm. Monaco Grand Prix, where he came second after it being a sort of jet agreement with the team that he would try. Um, they were doing the pit stop staggered. Lewis was going first. He was going to try and do as fast as he can. If he came out ahead of Fernando after Fernando pitted, then that was how it was going to finish one two. If he didn't, then it was going to finish that way, mm-hmm. the other way because they wanted the one to slash the maximum points. Right. So, at, in the press conference, Lewis, quite upset that he wasn't allowed to race for the win, had came out with how he wasn't allowed to race and ended up being the, the turmoil, mostly from the British press, resulted in the FIA, FIA investigating McLaren. We had we had the we had the strop at the same circuit nine years later in 2016 when when he partly made the call to change tyres at the end of the race ended up finishing in third and gifting Nico Rosberg the victory he had a strop that day and he was gonna he was about to get himself disqualified by walking out of the car early like whenever yep. Lewis Hamilton is a really bad loser okay like mm. he's like there is no getting around it he is a really bad loser and I'm not actually all that against that because I would rather yeah. I would rather drivers show emotion and actually act like they give a shit because trust me if I was mm. Lewis Hamilton and I'd gone through that race where I'd been taken out by a direct rival and had to you know, fight and claw my way back to second place, knowing the winning car was just two seconds down the road in the end. I'd be pissed off too. <laughs> I'd be upset. But like my 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 issue with this is Mercedes backing him because oh god yeah clearly oh, god, yeah clearly it's not an employer employee relationship anymore. It's more like a LeBron James Cleveland Cavaliers relationship where it's like yeah Cleveland has a coach but he's not really a coach. The real coach is LeBron James. Yeah, that's a very good point. Like, okay, and in fairness to Lewis, he did apologize for this this morning. This other day, we're recording this on Monday. He basically said that you know on his Instagram that you know in the heat of the moment, we basically say dumb shit. He, he basically you know, he, he acknowledged that Kimmy had apologized to him, and that was the end of the matter. He even called it a racing incident. Yeah. Um, so Hamilton clearly had calmed down the day later. But yeah, as, as King pointed out. Like the fact that the team backed him up and basically half again half implied that Ferrari had done it on purpose, that's scum. That's a scumbag move, and I I don't like it. You're going down a dark path if you're going to start accusing teams of doing shit on purpose like that. Now, oh, my counter to that would be Mercedes. Did anybody call you out for for like intentional shit when your own guy, Lewis Hamilton, criticised Nico Rosberg for, for Belgium in 2014, where, again, Hamilton said on Sky Sports F1 TV, it, after the season had already finished and he'd won well, he'd won the championship, he again implied that Nico had hit him on purpose. Um, and again, team didn't say anything to counteract that. Like you, you were totally okay with your driver accusing your own teammate and other driver of hitting someone out on purpose. Nobody even batted an eye. Um, it's... 
it's it's a growing pattern of behavior where Hamilton can basically say whatever the hell he wants without without any real consequence, and that's what worries me because his team are in, is enabling his behavior. And again, Toto Wolf basically doubled down on what was being said yesterday. It's a, um, to the point where Ferrari on Twitter about a couple of hours ago were basically saying, yeah, we're very grateful that Lewis Hamilton came out and said it was a racing incident. Thank you very much. Um, but what makes it even sadder about that for me is the fact that Toto Wolf's one of his right-hand men is James Allison, who used to be a Ferrari employee himself. Uh, yeah, and yeah. genuinely would not have quit that job if it wasn't for the for the for the you know the, obviously for personal reasons you know his wife mm-hmm. passing away in the time he was spending away from his family because he was working in Italy rather than in the UK and like he's got like one of his right hand men is a Ferrari employee and he had no problem throwing one of his former employees under the bus um, and that's sad for me quite frankly because it, yeah. it run because that runs deep with Allison and and I'd like to think that and I guess I like Toto Wolf I've always liked Toto Wolf I expected better from someone of his caliber of personality and mm-hmm. that I, I found his comments post race to be disappointing yeah especially everyone involved in the sport knows how how serious accusations like that are like pretty much the penalty for race fixing is a lifetime ban. Right. That's a very big accusation. That's, that's the biggest accusation you could throw around in this sport, like, by a mile. And I, I don't like that sort of talk being made so flippant and so frequently. Yeah, we've already, we've already lived it once in our mm-hmm. lifetime. It was, it was bad for pretty much every party involved. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's so... Yeah, it didn't do anybody any favors. Can we just nip this shit in the bud, please? Like, yes. Like, can we just not start going down the, the like the road of like saying this was intentional or that was intentional? Save it for when the guy actually Racing admits incident. it, like Ed Carpenter does. More on that later. <laughs> oh my god! But uh, yeah, that was a that was a complete and utter meltdown there from the Mercedes team, who genuinely seemed quite frazzled that they lost this one on home turf, which I thought was. Hilarious, um, so to speak. Um, quick rundown of the race result after the safety car in the end. Sebastian Vettel winning by 2.2 seconds in the end over Lewis Hamilton. Kimi Raikkonen third after the 10-second penalty. Valtteri Bottas just didn't have the legs in him tire-wise in the end. Fourth place for him. Daniel Ricciardo in fifth. Now, you've prob- I've not even mentioned the fact that where's the other Red Bull? Paul Max Verstappen had a break-by-wire failure six laps from the end. Um, so... Uh, uh, Verstappen gets a gets a bad run of luck on that one, and uh, yeah, DNF for just a week after his uh, just his third career victory. Well, sorry, I say fourth actually. Sorry, fourth. Um, so yeah, Verstappen technically a finisher because it was within, it was over ninety percent distance, but uh, yeah, did not really see the checkered flag on that one. Um, Hulkenberg wins the best of the rest award this time around in sixth place. His best result of the season so far. Um, Esteban Ocon in seventh. Good result for the Force India boys there on home turf, effectively. Fernando Alonso, who complained again, but still finishes in eighth because <laughs> Fernando, that's why. Um, just does things like that. Kevin Magnussen, who Alonso complained about pretty much all race long over defensive moves and whatnot. At this point, I just say, oh, look, it's typical Kevin Magnussen again. Uh, K Mag. You displaced me from my seat. You're not much of an improvement. Yeah, exactly. 
so yeah, uh, K-Mag in ninth, and it was Sergio Perez who rounded off the points in 10th. I know what you're thinking. I swear Pierre Gasly crossed that line first. Pierre Gasly did cross the line first for 10th place. However, he was given a five-second time penalty by the stewards in the post-race stewarding report because he apparently ran Perez off the road. I've s- and he was not happy about it. I've seen the incident. I think it was a bit harsh. Um, I f- by the letter of the law, yeah, that's probably a penalty. Um, Gasly was not best pleased. Uh, I'm going to find the tweet now, and I quote, five-second penalty, ridiculous. Every weekend, there are contacts with no further action. That's part of racing, and what makes it exciting was close battle. I enjoyed it. Just let us race and stop all this bullshit with penalties. We'll keep fighting. End quote. So, yeah, Pierre Gasly, who was 10th, dropped down to 13th after the five-second penalty. Perez getting the final point in 10th, ahead of Stoffel Van Dorn, who was only a second off the points himself. Bummer. Come on, can somebody give Stoffel a break, please? Can we get Stoffel a good result? Yeah, because after after Q1, people were just like, oh my gosh, Stoffel Van Dorn is the next, is the Ryan Leaf of Formula One. He's mm, such a boss. Oh, God. He's, 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 he's having, <laughs> oh he's having, they're already writing off him off after halfway through his second full season. And as I've stated before, when you're already pumping Fernando Alonso full of hot hair, I'm saying this as the show's resident Alonso stan. Stop! What? What do you expect of Stoffel? Yeah, like you're not gonna you're not gonna say that like oh Rubens Barrichello was trash for six years because he couldn't match actual Debbie God Michael <laughs> Schumacher in any of those years. Nobody would say that. Indeed, and let's not forget before he joined Ferrari, Rubens Barrichello was a damn good driver in his own right, and he was fast as hell. Um, yeah, I completely agree with RJ on that one. Like Stoffel's kind of in a lose lose situation here. You're in a in a underperforming team that still is going around in circles in North the teammate that is that's having the team built around him they're in the middle of a global expansion and Fernando Alonso is still one of the 10 or 12 fastest drivers we've ever seen in F1 it's going to be hard for Stoffel to stand out and that's just uh, the, the unfortunate nature of the situation that he's in hope he catches a break soon Lance Stroll, not a bad result for him at all there in 12th place for Williams there, ahead of the aforementioned Gasly. Sorokin was the last of the finishers in 14th place. Max Verstappen, as mentioned, break by wire failure, did not see the flag. He was six laps down. And five other retirements, Romain Grosjean and Carlos Sainz, as mentioned, hit each other on lap 37. Marcus Ericsson, um, again, hit, hit, hit the wall at turn one on that one. It's poor Charles Leclerc. Um, jeez, Charles... Oh, victim of finger trouble. Uh, Charles Leclerc was running in... was running deep in the points. I think, he was running, I think he was in eighth place at the time. He was... He made it into Q3 at Silverstone. Yes. In a sour. Yeah, he's very, very good at this whole driving thing. Yeah, he was running in the top eight when he had to come in for his, his, his stop. And, uh, yeah, pit stop error, unfortunately. stop was a bit too quick. Um, one of the rear tyres wasn't attached properly and that was the end of his race unfortunately um, bummer for the Sauber team and Charles again was very classy about it on Twitter said yeah this team was giving me so much opportunities and they've given me so many chances it happens we'll get them next time basically and uh, Charles is a good boy Charles is a very good boy and yeah the aforementioned Hartley just just a miserable weekend for Hartley like, give yeah. the man a hug please seriously like Hartley is a good he deserves better than this um th- if Hartley didn't have bad luck, he would just have no luck. Yeah, it, 
Brendan Hart Brendan Hartley was on track for maybe a couple of minutes and walked away from it feeling disappointed. Brendan Hartley's British Grand Prix weekend was a grinder hookup. Yeah, pretty much. Didn't even see the stop. Brendan button. Hartley should be an Indy car. I'm okay with that. I'm I'd settle for this. Uh, yeah. Yeah, but but Ganassi but you know what? Sold him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because Chip likes cash way more than he likes winners. <laughs> Poor Brendan, again, didn't even see the start flag in the end. Uh, they couldn't get his power unit hooked up again, and he never even saw the race itself. A real shame for him on that one. Championship standings real quick. Sebastian Vettel now has an eight-point lead over Lewis Hamilton, 171 to 163. Kimi Raikkonen now in third place of 116. Um, Daniel Ricciardo in fourth place on 106, and Valtteri back past Max Verstappen into fifth place on 104. Ferrari again extend their constructors' championship lead now to 20 points. They're 20 points ahead of Mercedes on 287 to 267. Red Bull Racing in third now on 199. Renault again leading the best of the rest pack in fourth with 70 points, 19 ahead of Haas. I still find it crazy that we're now 10 races in and Mercedes has only won three of them. Jeez, we've come a long way, folks. We have come a long way. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, shall we get into Formula 2 for a bit? And, uh, oh boy, this is... Yes. It's time for NXT TakeOver <laughs> Northamptonshire. Man, we all thought the the wildest shit that was going to happen this weekend was that nobody was going to watch the Formula 2 race because that was the same time as the England-Sweden game. Yep. Turns out we had drama. Yeah, like... Yeah, still. Yeah, yeah. But um, let's start in the feature race, a feature race that also included um, a, an audible cheer, not because Nirai Fukuzumi had broken down during the feature race, but because England had scored their second goal, and it just happened to come around the same time Fukuzumi's car was being pushed off the track. <laughs> God bless Deli Ali for doing the Lord's work. About time we should have been this tournament. But, uh, yeah... It was looking like it was going to be a good day and a home win for George Russell, his third pole in a row, and he was leading the race, and then, oh no, there was an error in the pits. God damn it, another one. Um, finger trouble. Finger trouble. And uh, they, yeah, they couldn't get one of the tires on, and then he ended up speeding in the pit lane for good measure as well. So, that, you know, the, the, the lost time in the pits and a five-second time penalty thrown in on top of that, which gifted the win to the other honorary Brit in this field, Alex Albon, everybody. His second... The TIE Fighter has brought it home. Indeed. Alex Albon taking his second win of the season for him. George Russell would end up finishing in second in the feature race a few seconds down the road. Antonio Foucault back on the podium again in third as well. So... A, a good result. Also, shout out as well. I think it was Delatraz that, that had a last lap over. Louis Delatraz. Yeah. yeah. Louis Delatraz getting past uh, getting past Luca Giotto for fourth place. Delatraz has really turned around. He had a Larry couple of first races, yeah. uh, Barcelona in particular, but he is, he's gotten it going. Now, all of a sudden, the question is, what is Delatraz doing? Well, this time it does matter what he's doing. He's doing really, really well for himself. Indeed. Like, only been out of the top six twice in the last eight races. He's doing a very solid job out there um, at the moment that it tries. Good performance from him on that one. Lando Norris in, in that race, the uh, former championship leader, lost a lot of ground here because uh, sadly it turns out that again, pit stop stall of his only stalled in the pits um, and ends up limping back to recover in 10th um, with, and with Russell getting the fastest lap during that race as well. 
Um, woof, major damage to the championship now. That's the second race in a row where Russell has finished deep on the podium and Loris is, and Loris has just limped into the top ten. Um, so yeah, they're starting to slip away from Lando all of a sudden. Even though he looked so comfortable at the yeah. start of this season, it's uh, the luck starting to turn for uh, for Lando on this one. Um, yeah, it's it's been turning for Carlin as well because Sergio Sete Camera was in contention for a podium. Uh, he broke down with about seven laps to go. Mm-hmm, indeed. You know, you know, because Brazil cannot have any nice things this weekend. Apparently, Neymar is rolling down the street in tribute. <laughs> <laughs> Which he's rolling much further than Camera's car after it broke down. Hey. So, as we head into the sprint race a day later, and uh, Max Gunther, who finished in eighth in the feature race, got the race to pole position, and he pretty much led from start to finish, and... Uh, yeah, Gunther held on, and he, he, like George Russell had to obviously start the race from from I think it was a seventh place on the grid after his, uh, his his second place in the feature race, and he just carved through that top six like a hot knife through butter. Um, Damn. Yeah, George Russell is really very good at this whole race car thing. Um, very very fast indeed. Got up to. So if that race was one lap longer, George Russell wins. He was siving time out of Max Gunther. He made it a bit of a grandstand finish at the end where he was only, I think, half a second off the win by the time they both went over the line. He was, he was butchering time out of Gunther at the end of the sprint race. Um, but Gunther held on for his, uh, for, for, his, for his first win of the season and the seventh yeah. different race winner Formula 2 has had this season, which is good to see. Um, Very good. Indeed, so... Gunther's had some hard luck this mm-hmm. year, so it's good to see him get a get an encouraging result. Um, very good in European Formula 3. Um, probably maybe doesn't have the sponsorship to reach Formula 1, but I feel like he'll find a competitive ride once his time in Formula 2 is mm-hmm. up. Yeah, he'll, he'll forever be one of my boys. Indeed. <laughs> King grinning from ear to ear as Gunther held on against, against the almighty Russell. Just to restore the German-English status quo for the weekend. That's... <laughs> <laughs> But so yeah, Russell, as mentioned, in second place. Lando Norris, who, again, an impressive comeback from Lando on this one, including a very nice double round the outside pass going into the final chicane as well, on, on, on route to finishing in third. Um, the kid's good. Kid is good. Kid is good. Um, shout out as well to mention to, to mention Pedro Piquet as well, who won the GP3 race as well. Quick yes. GP2. Yeah, won the sprint yeah. race. Um, Antoine Hierbeer won the sprint. APR, uh, excuse me. Uh, ART Grand Prix are just having a whale of a time in GP3 right now. Indeed, indeed. Quick, have a quick rundown of the Formula 2 standings because we want to get to the to the main meat of the topic from Formula 2. I think you know what we're talking about. We'll get to it very shortly. But uh, George Russell extends his championship lead now to 37 points over Lando Norris. 170 to 133. Albon back up to third past Artem Markelov. He's on 116 now. Markelov on 110. Um, Antonio Foucault is now on 97 points in fifth. And funnily enough, in the team's championship, with, with basically George Russell putting the team on his back now that uh, Jack Aiken's now gone six races since his last result in the points, ART and Carlin are dead level on 219 points in the team's championship. ART ahead on countback due to their five victories so far this season compared to Carlin's one. Um, so yeah, very all to play for in the team's championship, but we all know why you're here. 
let's talk about Santino Ferrucci and holy shit. Um, what a weekend he had with, with, with him, his teammate Argentine and the Trident team in general. Um, where do we yeah. even start? Let's, one, uh, let's back the, let's, let's, uh, let's actually back this one up to the feature race where, where Ferrucci and Miney were battling for position out on the track. And, uh, and, uh, I believe it was Ferrucci who had a uh, who had a lunge on Miney and Miney got pushed off mm-hmm. the road. Um, now keep in mind these two are already in a tense atmosphere because uh, if you have been following our Formula Two updates, you'll know that in France both drivers were very displeased about the lack of power they were getting from a defective engine. Uh, Miney is well, has been pretty distressed over the radio. He is a very emotional character. Santino Ferrucci also a very emotional character. Um, they came to blows on the track. Let's fast forward to the sprint race, where once again, Miney and Ferrucci are battling for position. Uh, Miney, uh, Ferrucci is defending pretty stoutly, so Miney has a audacious lunge up the inside of Ferrucci to get past him for position. That had Santino Ferrucci so incensed that on the cooldown lap after the race, Ferrucci, um, as the two cars are approaching, I believe this is... Uh, it's it's turn three. I don't know what the actual name of the corner is, uh, in terms of like it's like its name, like Abbey Farm, Stowe, what happened. Oh, uh, that's um, a arena. Oh yes, yeah. so that's arena corner where where Ferrucci decides he is not too pleased with Miney and runs into him, runs into the back of his teammate on the cooldown. Oh boy. Oh boy. Now I. Now I know what you're thinking, but we but we saw Sebastian Vettel do it, and he only got a slap on the wrist. Which it, no, it it goes it goes much deeper mm-hmm. than this. It goes a whole lot deeper than this. As it turns out, um, because the Formula Two stewards had caught wind that this was a deliberate act of retaliation from Ferrucci, feeling like it was not raced fairly by his own teammate, um, Ferrucci was summoned to the stewards after the race, and Ferrucci decided that he did not want to attend the meeting. He felt like that was beneath him. Um, so shortly after the race, it was announced that Ferrucci received multiple penalties, hefty of penalties, in fact. A two-round, four-race ban. It is the stiffest punishment levied out in the series ever. And to he, a Santino drive. Ferrucci, was... He, Santino Ferrucci, was fined 60,000 euro. 66,000 euros including including 6,000 on top of that when they had found that he had been in violation of the of the onboard electronic device policy which basically means he had a phone in his car and his glove was off when they found when they found him climbing out of his car put two and two together for some reports he was texting and driving on his way back to the paddock amazing amazing like it's um yeah this was a holy shit moment if jeez yeah yeah this uh this takes more and more bizarre turns because shortly after this statement um trident the team for which miney and ferrucci drive for put out a uh, put out a staving statement where they basically had uh they basically fired ferrucci over team radio i will quote this verbatim trident intends to show their support and solidarity and support to Arjemini and his family for the unsportsmanlike and above all uncivilized behavior that he was forced to endure not only this during this last weekend by Santino Ferrucci. Notice, Santino Ferrucci is not being tagged because that's what you do when you're deciding yep. to go drag somebody. <laughs> and father, who accompanied him. 
The contractual implications of what has happened will be dealt with by our lawyers. Never in these 12 years of sporting activity, to give you an idea of Trident's tenure in what is now Formula 2, has anything even close to this ever occurred. We apologize for the show that we have regretfully offered. Now, I, I again want to point out that we've seen drivers behaving badly in this series before. Nobuharu Matsushita got a one-round ban for driving like a bit of an idiot. Baku, I think it was a little bit overblown. Johnny Chicago is probably Johnny Chicago and Sergio Canamazas are probably the go-to personas non grata. But this this eclipses any right. of that by a mile. Um, oh God, where do you even start on this? It, it goes deeper than this as well. Yeah. I mean, oh goodness, it gets even deeper than this so shortly after the race where when people were wondering like wow why would they throw santino ferrucci's father under his bus there have been people who have been browsing social media including channels like the formula one subreddit um who had basically picked up reports um one report in particular that basically santino ferrucci and his father were were basically engaging in off-track bullying of Argentine, including putting on very over-the-top stereotypical Indian accents in private oh, conversations damn. in reference to both Arjun and his father who were at the track. It gets even crazier <laughs> because there is a letter that has now since been revealed to be fake um, that Santino Ferrucci, and again, this, this goes to show you how crazy things have gotten where for a split second of time we thought that this was a genuine letter and this was a damn genuine mock-up by the way, whoever yeah. did this did an incredible yeah. job. We're basically... They did all their research. They, they did they, all they, their they research. Put, they, they put some yeah. effort into this one. Oh boy! It was a former. It was a former letter um, proposed to be signed by uh, Bruno Michel, who is the head of Formula Two, um, basically denying Trident's request to run a Make America Great Again livery for Santino Ferrucci on the Fourth of July weekend of the British Grand Prix at Silverstone. Of course, <sighs> and. I suspect I, I suspect a couple oh, of guys have seen his earlier Instagram pictures of people like Mike Pence, the current vice president of the United States, and put two and two together and got five. Oh yeah, basically in this case. Or that feature in GQ magazine a couple years ago when he was uh, eleven. <laughs> right there is a there is a very there was a yeah it was unearthed recently. Um, I had actually I had not even gotten a chance to read this, but I. I some of the some of the stuff that Santino is be, either being fed to say or believed when he was eleven. Um, toxic goodness I so I feel very strongly about uh, I feel very strongly about our young drivers who are climbing the ladder to Formula One because they have a lot of pressure they are they are learning to be not only racing drivers but they're learning to be humans at a much accelerated rate on a very very public stage where they have commitments to sponsorships to teams to other professionals who they're working with um, it can be a bit crazy sometimes. And sometimes, you know, we, we more unfairly than not go after young guys for, you know, behaving badly when they're still trying to figure themselves out as people. Daniel Tictum is a very good example of this. Daniel Tictum drove past 12 cars and tried to run into a title rival because he got taken out earlier in a Formula 4 race. Daniel Tictum had to sit out a year for that. He, he learned from that, and he's generally come a better driver and a better person from that as well. I, I can relate to what Santino Ferrucci is going through. I think we all can because we could probably all relate to being shitty, um, edgy 20-year-olds with bad opinions and bad thoughts about the world at large in general. 
Him. I get that. And uh, and we also get that, like, hey, well, RJ, you know, Santita Ferrucci, you're you're pretty much attacking him from his for his political beliefs when you know when you know damn well a lot of American drivers live in a political hive mind of milk toast conservatism. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I get that. <laughs> I get that. We're not we're not saying that that's you know excusable or anything like that. But what Santino Ferrucci did was so blatantly. It was so unprofessional that it transcends, you know, his background as American driver. It transcends his political beliefs, which whichever way, whichever way he would have swung, that was entirely unprofessional. Yeah, that that behavior, that behavior in any workplace would pretty much instantaneously mean termination. You're going home for the day looking for a new fucking job. Like there's, like there's no getting around it. I mean, Santino in in the last. God, hour or so has released a statement on his Twitter account, and I will read it out now to you. In quote, I quote: "I want to send my sincerest apologies for my actions on Sunday at the FIA Formula Two race at Silverstone. I used extremely poor judgment at the conclusion of the race, getting far too close to my teammate Arjunma, and swerved away only to graze his tire, very fortunately causing no damage or issue to the car." Well, that's technically speaking not true because I could see that he damaged the suspension on the front of his car. But anyway, there was no intent, premeditation, or any type of retaliation by my actions, only anger and frustration as this has been a horrific year. I have no excuse other than the fact that I am a 20-year-old Italian-American with a deep passion for motorsport, which is a very emotional sport. While there has been much provocation leading to my mental lapse, it is still not an excuse and I will make sure that this does not happen again. I have realized I realize I have embarrassed many people and I apologize to my sponsors. Trident, my fellow drivers, Hass F1, AFIA, FIA Formula 2, my fans, friends, and family. I also want to apologize to the FIA stewards for not being able to attend the hearing. I was randomly selected for a drug test, as were others, and this delayed my return to the paddock by over an hour. At that point, I very quickly packed and had to leave for the airport to catch an early afternoon flight back to the US to, att- to attend to an extremely urgent, time-sensitive family medical issue. I was notified of the stewards' meeting as I was leaving and, and did send an email to my team manager to forward to the stewards explaining that I had no options but to leave. I I want to take Santina for his word for this. You know, yeah, I certainly like, hope that... Even, even if you... You know, take him for his word. He doesn't apologize no. to his teammate. He, he, he only he also only apologizes for what happened on track and the stewards' meeting. He doesn't apologize for anything else that happened that yeah, weekend. And he's, cl- and he's, he's claiming that wasn't. Which the, again, yeah. it, none of that's yeah, none of that was conf- none of that is yeah, none of that's been confirmed. You, but, but, so. but if you know anything, but, but, but what we're hearing about Santino Ferrucci's character is that you know he's it, it's something that we're if. If it did come out, it wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. Um, he ran one race weekend in IndyCar. That was at Detroit Dale Quinn Racing. He wrecked out of both times. One race he was quick. One race he just ended up being just a non-factor the whole time. And he seemed to pretty much earn the wrath of pretty much the whole paddock the time he was there, just from the way that he drove. Um, so if if Formula 2 doesn't work out, and if this Haas F1 deal doesn't work out because... And now I would not be surprised because he is a Haas Formula One development driver. Again, signed because he is pretty much the closest young American to a Formula One drive right now. Just from his affiliation with Haas and just from being a Formula Two driver. That's now gone. Yeah. There are no opportunities mm-hmm. in IndyCar anymore because I don't know if Dale Coyne would bring him back. I don't know if they should bring him back. Yeah. 
and now he's accumulated so much baggage in the span of one weekend. If you're in any other series, is it worth it? Yeah, like, he's with, like, before he even, you know, gets to introduce himself to anyone, they have this incident in their mind, and he's instantly persona yeah, non grata. Yeah, I, I, look, I, I looked at that statement, and I say he can't be trusted. He, like, cause, like, he claims that there was no intent or premeditation or retaliation involved. I don't believe him when I read that statement, and I've, I've seen the video footage. Yeah, because he, he made statements to the press complaining about his teammate earlier yeah. in the weekend. He immediately, he immediately, right. yeah. immediately after yeah. the race, he, he replied to Sky Sports, posting the clip of the incident, um, say, basically implying that Arjun always cries on the radio and that, hey, I passed my drug test, I have to say that Arjun Mayani is racing under the influence. Yeah. Yeah. And Santino, just because you delete your tweets doesn't mean they go away. Indeed. We all saw it because it was up for several hours. And yeah, in the words of Jay-Z, I don't believe you. You need more people. And yeah, it's a, it, it's a crying shame because I completely agree with RJ in the sense of he probably is the American prospect closest to a Formula 1 drive purely via affiliation. And it would have made sense. I don't have, I don't, ha again, I'll, I'll go even further with this. I don't have much national pride nowadays. Right. It all comes from our representative representation in international sports. Our last Formula One driver was run out after five races with a terrible team. Our last MotoGP rider was killed in a senseless traffic accident. Mm -hmm. So I've, so as an American sports person, um, you know, I, I always get excited when I hear about a young driver who has the potential to maybe, maybe one day enjoy some modicum of success in Formula One. I knew that Santino Ferrucci's track record as a driver was very haphazard. He'd shown flashes of speed, but not consistently enough. But he'd done well enough in GP3 and done well enough in Formula 2 to where maybe, you know, this year he could start to turn around. I mean, certainly they wouldn't have just brought him up to Haas F1 just because of his money in American ties. But, but like... Mm. Like, my two cents about Santino, that, like, reading that GQ article and all the articles from him, like, 2010, 2011, when he was still in karting, he was the fastest kid out there by far. But the one thing that keeps always comes up, even in that GQ article I posted, is his father. And is that he's close with his dad, but his dad is very problematic mm. to the point where... He got pushed up to National 11 karting a year early. The GQ article kind of leaned towards it. They pushed him up early because he was fast, but they also mentioned complaints from other parents that pretty much they didn't want him to be around there anymore. So if they, oh, yeah. so if they gave him a bye to Nationals, he would no longer be there anymore. Oh yeah, like trust us, we're not we're not at all absolving Sanzino Ferrucci for his responsibility in this situation. But it is clear, just in from what I know, um, from what literal I know, that uh, the elder Ferrucci is a big problem. He is, from what I'm described, it's basically like Yasper, the worst of Yasper Stappen turned up to a hundred. Yeah, it, it, it doesn't seem pretty, and nobody likes someone that's got daddy issues uh, by by any stretch of the imagination, and that's. That's the impression I got too from seeing some of the quotes that have been posted up from these interviews. People done a lot of digging on, on Santino Ferrucci, obviously, because of what's happened this weekend. Um, I haven't got much to add on this one that hasn't already been said. It's it's like his his actions on track were appalling, and his the fact he doubled down in it on the internet afterwards only made it worse. And I like I if if the talk about what he's done with Argentina is true, that is absolutely disgraceful. And and 
No, he sh- he should not be. He mm. should not. She should not turn a wheel for the rest of the season if that turns yeah, out to be. That, true. I completely agree. And if, and if anybody brings him back in 2019 or 2020, they will have to do that knowing that they have that yeah, badge. Yeah, that's, that's a lot of baggage. Because unless Santino Ferrucci turns a sudden snap, and it can happen. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that it cannot happen. But but knowing the culture of motorsport, knowing his upbringing, and knowing his family situation, I don't think that it was Will. And it and it's really a shame because I would like to see him turn the corner from this, but I don't think it will. I'm hoping. I'm hoping, I'm not expecting, but I can hope that he turns around from this. I, I'm just not setting any expectations that he will. Let's just because no. no matter because no matter what kind of driver that he is, no matter how quick that you are, if you are such a toxic personality that you cannot respect the humanity of the people that you work with, like it, it goes beyond politics. Every other driver that we have dragged for, you know, holding objectionable political opinions or voting for the wrong person. They're at least professional enough to respect their teammates as human beings. Right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, I, Something that should be noted is Ferrucci ha- his Twitter bio now just says American race car driver. Mm. Yeah, he is. He is pretty much. He is done at Trident. Um, he may be done for Formula Two for the foreseeable future. I don't know where his career leads, but again, that's. You know, if you're a if you're a prospective team order that wants a quick driver, you just better be prepared to take that baggage. It's going to be Indeed. a lot. And normally I'm harsher on people like Santino, but as I've gotten a little bit older and I'd like to think a little bit wiser in my 25 and you know five eighths years, I sincerely hope that Santino learns from this and you know he can plead for forgiveness and someone might give him a chance in a year a year or two down the road, but. We've all been shitty twenty-year-olds once, and it's, 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 a, it's a shame that his shitty twenty-year-old moment has happened in a race car. Um, and I'm not condoning what he's done. Is again, his, his behaviour has been disgraceful. Um, he's brought shame to him, his family, his team, and to Formula Two in general. That's the last thing a, a, a series that's had a fantastic season needs is a, a driver that's had to like a total shithead on track, but. I sincerely hope he learns from this and turns a corner because he's a talented kid, and and I, I I like to see talented people succeed. It's I just sincerely hope that he screws his head back on and hey maybe ditches dad too, but, but that's probably not going to happen. But yeah, I hope Santino learns from this, and yeah, I, hopefully he'll he'll still sit down and stew during this four-way span and sixty thousand euros coming out of his pocket to, to think about what he's done basically. The finest jump change. Yeah, the finest jump change, I know, for his family and for him and whatnot, but still, point point taken. Speaking of America, after this quick musical interview, we'll talk about the IndyCar Iowa Corn 300. funny thing again i was out uh, it's a fun story for you guys on on, on the twitters i actually didn't get a chance to see this this race live I, I saw the fast forward half an hour edition on on youtube this morning because i i was lucky enough to go out to dinner with steph who i've mentioned before runs silver code runs yes. our website and basically has been like one of my greatest heroes of the last six seven years she 
basically started Harrison101.com as a website, as a hobby, when she was an aspiring web developer. She's now been able to go full-time with that by herself, um, and she's been going around the world on a three-month tour, basically, and she's just, the, last, the very last day of the trip was in London, and she said, Dre, do you want to come out for dinner? And I was like, of course. Like, well, like, I didn't even hesitate on that, because Steph is a hero, and I've mentioned this before. This website, this podcast, would not be where it is today if it wasn't for the amount of favours that she has done to help us out over the last few years. She is a legend. Steph, I know you're listening to this. Thank you so much for everything you've done, and it was an honour to be able to sit down... um, uh, sit down on Twitter um, and sit down in, in a TGI Fridays and just sit down on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, that would be me, wouldn't it? Um, <laughs> that would be very me. But uh, no, sit down in a TGI Fridays and just have a, a wonderful couple of hours eating while, amazingly, James Hinchcliffe pulled the win out of his ass. Um, how the hell did that happen? Um, Let's start popping popcorn, woo! baby! Yeah! Um... Yeah, James Hinchcliffe, out of nowhere, wins the Iowa Corn 300 from, like, 12th on the grid. What the hell happened? Um, no, seriously, what the hell happened? It was like, I, like, <laughs> like, I know SPM has been pretty darn good all season long, but Hinchcliffe was on fire this weekend. Um, just in race trim, all of a sudden, they, they were fantastic. <sighs> Jesus Christ, like, King, what happened out there? Ooh, I, I think it was just... They just got it hooked up for the right conditions, and it was the right day. And also a whole yeah, bunch of other shenanigans happened, but we'll get to that. <laughs> yeah, it looked like at the start of this race, this was just going to be a Penske benefit the whole time. It really did. It did. It looked that way. I mean, Will Power had crushed the field in qualifying to get his second pole of the year. And his 52nd of his career, which I think ties him now for with, with a second all-time of the great AJ Foyt. He's one behind uh, Foyt. One behind Foyt now. My apologies. Um, yeah, but yeah, his second pole of the season. He like he and like New Garden was the only guy in the same postcode as him. Um, they crushed it in qualifying, and uh, whew, it looked like it was going to be another Penske curb stomping. But no, um, a lot of guys came through the midfield on this occasion and really rubbed their noses in it over the course of the course of the weekend. It was crazy. Um, yeah, just just digging out the qualifying again one more time. Like, Will Power had over a mile an hour in hand on everybody else during qualifying. Like, he had a 182.3. Joseph was second with 181.1. Um, Hunter Ray was third um, with 180.6. Again, as I mentioned, Power was so much faster in qualifying, but just in race trim, just didn't quite happen for him, really. And yeah. Hinchcliffe, who started 11th, ends up just carving his way through the field and with 45 laps to go put the move on Joseph Newgarn, who again was flying in the early period of the oh race. Oh my goodness, he led I... 200 consecutive laps! 229 yeah. on the day! This was the day and... the one was going to be defended, and remember, this is the track where he ran with a broken freaking collarbone! Yeah, I thought it was going to be Shades of 2016 all over again, mm. but it didn't happen. Uh, yeah, you had him on the radio go, where did James come from? <laughs> he's yeah. the leader that's why he's ahead of you <laughs> Joseph was just as surprised as I was good to know um, but uh, yeah out of nowhere but yeah Dugan had led 200 laps had lapped everybody up to the top 3 I think in one of the earliest stints of the race 
um, before we got one of the only two cautions of the day from Zach Veach hitting the wall on lap. I think it was 140. Um, mm. He hit the wall on that one, um, which brought out a caution. But yeah, unbelievable driving from Hinchcliffe there. The pace on that SPM car was electric. Well, again, he, by the time we got to the, the last 10 laps before the second caution, we'll get to in a minute, he had had a 9 or 10 second lead. He was half a lap ahead of Newgarden when that last caution came out. So. Hinchcliffe was absolutely on fire. I mean, for the second half of that race, unbelievable. I, I can't remember the last time he's he's, he's dominated a, a second half of a race like that in his IndyCar career. Um, incredibly impressive. It's like a reverse Texas from a couple of years ago. Well, I just started twitching. Um, <laughs> <sighs> that was a rough day, uh, but there was a couple of, of, of newsworthy highlights to come out of this race besides Hinchcliffe's surprise victory and uh, whew, Ed Carpenter. Um, Ed Carpenter is cancelled, everybody. Um, he is no longer allowed to be named Hey, Oval Clint, Master. you feel your, your, your <laughs> left arm start to itch? Spingate 2 electric boogaloo. Yeah, picture the scene. There's nine laps to go. Ed Carpenter knows that his teammate, Spencer Pigger, has got a really good shot of a podium finish up here. So what does Ed Carpenter decide to do? Deliberately spin his car to bring out a caution. And what made it even worse was he actually clipped Takuma Sato's car in the process. He was running in the top five at the time. Um, to, to, like, that could have been way, way worse than how it actually turned out on that one. Luckily, yeah. it was only a clip on Sato's car when it could have been potentially disastrous. Um, Ed, the fuck are you doing? <laughs> like... He basically admitted post race he did it on purpose to basically Spencer did not need the help. This was yeah. his no, best race at a track and an oval. Spencer Pickett does not normally sell on ovals. This was his best career finish. It was a marvelous day for Spencer. He didn't need the help. No, he didn't. Hmm. He yeah. really didn't. But why can't you, know. you just let me have fun with my friends, Dad? <laughs> Yeah, that dad's come round the corner of the fence and deflated the ball. It's uh, it's it's it, it wasn't pretty, and like it 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 really irks me that Carpenter mm-hmm. deliberately spun out on an oval race. I, I cannot tell you how dangerous that is. Um, like that's just that's that's disgraceful from Ed. I I, I I'm surprised IndyCar hasn't thrown the book at him harder since this, but yeah, it, it's. You can't do that. You absolutely cannot do that. You cannot spin out on purpose during an IndyCar race to help your teammates out. That's disgusting. That's how Michael Waltrip ended up losing a race team. Like, okay, what if he hits Takuma Harto and he... What if he hits Takuma Harto and he ends up in the catch fence? What's he going to say then? Oh, yeah, Mm. I did it on purpose. (laughs) Like, what the fuck? I mean, the other thing is... As remember a few years ago, he had a crack up at Sage Karam. Yeah. For for I don't being like aggressive. Your, <laughs> I don't like your fucking driving, man. Was the quote after Karam nearly ran Carpenter into the wall that day in Texas. <laughs> that's that's not bad. That's bad, but spinning's okay. <laughs> I mean, it really is, because as we we know, IndyCar is dangerous yeah we we only have to look at what happened to Justin what happened to Dan James Sebastian we we know this like especially when we go on to the ovals you 
It's just... Right. It's... And it's like the only races he does now! Yeah, he only does the Ophels. Uh huh. Like, no, if you're going to start... Because... He was lucky he just... All that happened was he had, like, a sort of brush with Sasso. The car no, wasn't yeah. that badly damaged, but if like he... Said, yeah, it looks, it looks like it could have been way, way worse. Yeah, and and just like a uh, just like a less harmful uh, sporting uh, sort of thing, it took Newgarden and Wickens pretty much out of contention because the mm -hmm. plan was that with a late caution and uh, <coughs> and a sprint to the finish upcoming, Joseph Newgarden was just going to do the same thing he did to win the race at Phoenix, put on a set of brand new tires, knowing everybody else had worn rubber up ahead of him. Uh, take the gamble, uh, lose a little bit of track position in the short term to gain it on the long term when they go green. Except, they didn't go green. Yeah, there was a piece of the of debris left out on track with about six laps to go. They had to try and get off the uh, get off the road and restart again. The um, IndyCar didn't have the timing window to pull out the red flag to mm. guarantee themselves a sprint finish. So they had to run it under caution, and simply put, they ran out of time. Um, the... It's funny that happened on a track that's less than a mile. Amazing, that. Seven-eighths seven of a mile at Iowa. They, they only mentioned that about 15 times during the broadcast. And, yeah, mm. they even under caution conditions, they ran through those seven last those last seven laps really freaking quickly. Um, so, uh, yeah, they ran out of time. James Inchcliffe, who didn't stop, took the victory in the end. Um, as did Spencer Piggott and Takuma Sato. As mentioned, Joseph Newgarden and Robert Wickens are two of the two leading guys, or the, the only two of the only five guys on said lead lap um, did come into the pits for new tyres, hoping they were able to, you know, to you know get to the front of the field again using only the one or two laps they were going to have left. Probably two, I think, was the target they were aiming for. There's a 30-second splash to the splash, there's dash for the cash basically, but. Uh, Nope, they ran out of time. The race ended under caution, and James Hinchcliffe takes the sixth win of his IndyCar career. Um, the 500 is avenged! Yay! <laughs> we'll, we'll take it. Um, <laughs> but, uh, whew, uh, a crazy race indeed. Um, a couple of other little minor ones as well. Matthias Lice had a mechanical problem. Ryan Hunter Ray had suspension problems. Hunter Ray's bad luck came back at the worst possible goddamn time. Um, At a track that he loves. Mm-hmm. Danny's just came up with an update regarding uh, Ferrucci. He, that thing that we thought was fake, it wasn't. Oh golly! No! <laughs> yeah. Oh, he did dear. request I... to race with Trump's "Make America Great Again" slogan on yeah. his car at Silverstone. Yeah, I had a gut feeling that it was just, like, a Santino, you know, defender trying to, you know, try to quell the flames. Yeah, I'll read out the quick article from a friend of the show, Luke Smith, um, from Crash.net. Full credit to him for this. He said, The recently banned Santino Ferrucci requested to race with a livery bearing President Donald Trump's Make America Great Again slogan at Silverstone last weekend. Trying this confirmed that the FIA rejected a request made by Santino and his family to race with Donald Trump's slogan on his car during last weekend's round at Silverstone. Uh, Ferrucci was handed a two-round man and a €60,000 fine after deliberately hitting Trident teammate Arjun Miney on the cool-down lap of the end of Sunday's sprint race at Silverstone. Ferrucci also refused to attend the stewards' hearing regarding the incident that was deemed to have pushed Miney off track during the race. 
and was also fined a further 6,000 euros for using his phone while driving the car. Um, yeah, the, the, this letter had leaked out earlier in the day, and there was a lot of, of basically, there was a lot of debate as to whether this was a real, genuine uh, letter or not. And we said ourselves earlier on in the show that uh, we weren't sure. But it was if it was fake, it was a very good fake. Um, we're not even joking about this. We thought, it, but uh, it turns out uh, this was real. Trident team principal Mauricio Salvadori confirmed to Crash.net that the request had been made following pressure by the Ferrucci family before hitting out at the leaking of the letter. And I quote. Everyone in the motorsport field is aware that it is forbidden to affix to their automobile advertising that is political in nature, Salvador retold Crash.net. When I was approached with this request on behalf of the Ferrucci family, I tried to explain the impossibility to adhere to this demand. Upon their insistence, I had requested a written opinion from the FIA that, once received, I forwarded to the Ferrucci family. The fact that this letter is circulating today on social media seems to me like a clumsy attempt to take the attention away from the principal problem that is Santino's and his father's behaviour on and outside the track in last weekend's races. And that and that article from Luke has the exact tweet from Danny Brennan, friend of the show, who was one of the first guys to put this out there on Twitter from the Formula One subreddit. So props to the guys on the F1 subreddit and props to Danny for bringing it up. And again, he brought it up again as we were recording this show on Discord. So Danny, cheers, man. Well played. Um, yeah, just like to, to quickly kind of circle back. Yeah, putting out that letter makes it less of a, you know, a personal issue with him it's them trying to make it a political issue saying that they're coming after us because we support donald trump stick to sports king um <laughs> get, keep politics out of this says everyone that hasn't got a brain when it comes to sports so, so when, everyone, when everyone says to me oh stick, stick to sports stray um yeah can't can't help this one i'm afraid um yeah, yeah because yeah you know his you know the family's personal politics are clearly not influencing other toxic <laughs> on and off track behaviors off of it nope nope has no. nothing to do with politics whatsoever um okay I, I, i've said my piece but yeah, it's, it's it's widely known that the FIA bans any kind of advertising on the car that is political or religious in nature. Ugh. Please Good. tune in to the Bass Pro Shops NRA Night Race at Bristol Motor Speedway. Uh, August, what's it? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, dear. Because, yeah, the last time this came up, uh, I believe, was back in 2012 when Ferrari kind of got in a bit of hot water. What happened there, King? Uh, for the uh, the Indian Grand Prix, they ran the 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 flag, the national flag that's flown by the Italian Navy, and at the Indian Grand Prix, which early in the year, two Italian Marines who were dispatched on uh, an Italian freighter had shot and killed two Indian fishermen, believing them to be pirates. Oh, oh boy. But they were allowed to run the flag because they were able to convince Vicky Chandok, who was the president of, uh, you know, India's motorsport body, that the flag wasn't being flown for political reasons. So they were allowed to run the flag, but it's, and it's still kind of a really touchy subject in Indian motorsport. Yeah, I hear you. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's why politics um, and, and racing liveries don't really mix on this occasion. But uh, 
yeah, we sped up, we set our piece on Ferrucci already, but uh, that just that doesn't that, that only adds more gasoline on an already raging bushfire. Um, nothing more needs to be said on that. Um, Speaking of bad days, but in the less uh, harmful and only sports kind of sense, Scott Ditson was kind of trash. He finished four laps down, still has the points lead, but was not really a factor. Yeah, not really. wasn't really blessed for it that, much, that hard either, besides New Garden, really, by finishing in fourth. But we'll get... he, he did blame the fact that Ganassi hadn't got to do any testing. Ah. But, like, it, it does take, you know, realizing that everyone who's on the podium is outside the top six in points. <laughs> yeah. Damn. It was crazy how that turns out, didn't it? Yeah, here's the full rundown, as mentioned. James Hinchcliffe winning in the end, under caution. Spencer Piggott, his his best ever IndyCar finish. He, he drove a blinding race from 18th yeah. on the grid. Uh, we've been waiting for a, a really big Spencer Piggott day, and it has come. Uh, his first IndyCar podium and basically the greatest mascot for the for the road to Indy as it is, for giving he won on every step of the ladder on the way up. Spencer with his first IndyCar podium in second place. Brilliant drive and well-deserved from the young and indeed. Takuma Sato in third, taking RLL by the scruff of the neck this weekend. Great drive from him. Nice to see Sato back on the podium. Joseph Newgarden and Robert Wickens fourth and fifth, the aforementioned uh, victims of the late pit stop at the end and the situation regarding... Um, well, the, the 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 late caution and whether they should have pit the they should have pit or not, not pretty to say the least. Will Power in sixth finished a lap down in the end, just didn't have the the race trim pace that he sh- that he had in, in in his brilliant qualifying session. Uh, Graham Rahal in seventh in the end, he just keeps finishing in that like that weird like four to eight range every weekend. Graham, for God's sake, just 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 doesn't go away. Uh, it's it's crazy. Uh, Simon Pagano in eighth, just oof, just another my French friend. Just another okay day for Simon Pagano and sigh. Um, Alex Rossi, as mentioned, lost a lap due to a pit stop error um, from Andretti in the pit lane where. He basically had troubles uh, getting the car started again. So, yeah, Rossi ended up losing a lap and never really recovered from there. Finished two laps down in the end um, in ninth. Ed Carpenter, after the spin, he is no longer allowed to be named Ed Carpenter Oval Master. That is an official rule sentenced by me. Anyone that spins out (laughs) deliberately during an oval race no longer has the right to be called Master. So shall it be written? So shall it be done? I banned my gavel, it's official. Ed Oval Deviant. Yes. Is he now Ed Carpenter Oval Bastard? Yes. <laughs> yes. We're going with this. He will, should now be known as Ed Carpenter Oval Bastard. Yes, that, that is perfect. Uh, Seb Bourdais in 11th. As mentioned, Scott Dixon finished four laps down in the end. A, a struggle, let's say, for Chip Ganassi racing with his teammate Ed Jones in 13th. You know, it was bad when uh, Paul Tracy pointed out during the race that... Uh, and I quote, Zach Veach has just lapped Scott Dixon. <laughs> Zach Veach deserved better. He did indeed. His car caught fire again, which I thought was quite funny. Um, I was like, yeah. what is it with Veach's car catching flames? <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> it, it goes with the, the scheme, though. It does. It really does. Yeah, yeah that relay livery is just so hot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Straight fire. Um <laughs> Charlie Kimball in 14th, uh, back on form for slightly above average. Uh, Max Chilton in 15th for two Carlin side-by-side. Marco, seven laps down in the end. 
um, in 16th place ahead of Tony Kanan in 17th. Zachary Clackery the Macquery in 18th ahead of Ryan Hunter Ray, who again has had suspension and gearbox issues all the way through in 19th place. Didn't see the checkered flag on that one. Zach, Zach Veach in 20th. Good point as well on Discord. He actually is draconian. I, I, I gave him one level too much on, on Kimball there. Well, well corrected. Um, Gabby Chavez, again, had to retire early. Had handling problems in the car all day long. And Matt Leist, uh, sadly, only had to park it at the end of lap 40. So, a quick look at the IndyCar City standings. And yeah, Dixon's still in the lead of the championship, but his league has been reduced. It, it was over 50. I think it was exactly 50 points going into this weekend. He leaves it now only 33 ahead of Joseph Newgarden now. Dixon on 4.11, Newgarden on 3.78, Alex Rossi on 3.70. Hunter Ray slips to fourth now on 3.59. There's a point ahead of Will Power on 3.58. Robert Wickens leads, I call the best of the rest category now, in sixth place on 304. What a season he's having. Um... <laughs> Graham Rahal also on 304 in 7th which is about his average finishing position all season long so it's ironic the Rahal is the 7th yep. in the championship it's like yep. Mr. Mr. P7 Graham Rahal everybody Hinchcliffe with that win is now up to 8th place on 280 points given he missed the 500 and is a point ahead of Simon Paginot on 279 what the hell is going on Simon come on my French friend <laughs> get up the board King get your mans um, <laughs> yeah, come on, come on, Simon. This ain't the Penske games. Indeed, <laughs> this is not hula hoop on a regular day. We need we need Simon back up the field. And Seb Bourdais rounds off the top ten, just passing Marco Andretti now for tenth place. And Jackie's on two hundred and fifty-four points. Next round up this weekend as IndyCar goes back to Toronto. Uh, before we end the segment, three quick things. Uh-huh. First of all, the third round of the cook-off that IndyCar's doing happened with Joseph making a, chick- a turkey burger and onion rings, uh-huh. which which is tied for Simon stuffed tomatoes at 19. These tomatoes look 20. terrible. <laughs> they just did. But I yeah, bet but they tasted French... delicious. <sighs> was, there, he... was there mayonnaise spread? No, there wasn't. There was barbecue sauce. Mm. Okay, thank goodness. Thank goodness. Also, I feel like this Iowa Corn 300, um, and I hate to take this idea from you, but it felt like instead of just like a confetti cannon, it should be just like a giant kettle of popping corn. Yes. Just like popping over the top of the driver's heads and dumping onto them. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Number two, if you were thinking you could watch IndyCar and get away from the the World Cup. Bad news. Simon, that's it. I mean, Pe- Spencer Pickett's dad is English. Indeed he is. <laughs> so that got brought up. Oh yeah. <laughs> and and finally, um, this is from Matt Hickey um, at IndyCar and slash MN on Twitter. Since 2014, F1 has run 89 races and we've seen six different winners. Since 2014. IndyCar has run 76 races and we've seen 17 different winners. It's almost like IndyCar's a spec series or something. <laughs> yeah. Funny how that turns out. I don't. Stop uh-huh. comparing yeah, like yourself it, to it, the it, juggernauts. <laughs> you're acting like IndyCar ain't entertaining though. <laughs> you're acting like you're acting like F1's just gonna buy IndyCar, which I saw that drunken rumor <laughs> circulate uh, for like actually, an hour. Actually, it, it, it's come back up again because when Liberty first bought Formula no, One, it's, yeah. it's not. No, stop. It's not gonna. I refuse happen. to acknowledge this. <laughs> 
I, I think it, I think, uh, there, there probably are talks, but I don't think it's like they're going to buy it for like next year, maybe like five years down the road, like 10 years down the road, maybe. King, we're not, we're, things, we're, we're, not, but, we're not speaking this again. If you speak this again, I'm going to drown you in a vat of barbecue sauce. We're not speaking to this <laughs> oh, again. Unless there is a transaction, we should treat this as, hey, my uncle works at Nintendo and he's going <laughs> to tell me that Master Chief's going to be in Smash Brothers Ultimate. That's what that rumor is. Also, I'd like, just before we move on to the last major news segment of the day, I have to say as well, IndyCar got the aero kits for this race absolutely on the money. Um, that was a very good race. I very much enjoyed that. A lot of action up and down the field. Cars could pass each other. They could follow each other if their pace was good enough. But if your pace was also good enough, you could also get away and take the lead and not turn it into a pack race. I think the I think the aero was spot on um, for this round in uh, for this round at Iowa, and I think it led to some great racing. Over nine hundred overtakes or something. Yeah, nine hundred nine out of ten bags of popcorn probably should move this to the night. Indeed, man. Yeah, probably should move it to the night. But man, it's great. It's great. It's back. Cart cart era short ovals. Indeed, good good shit. Good shit. Um, one major news story to talk about this before we before we wrap up this show, um, this week, and uh, it was it's sad news coming out of the world of IndyCar and specifically for the Andretti family, one of the great racing dynasties of the world is uh. As, um, so, you know, I'm going to let Zoe take this one because uh, this one means a lot to her. I know she's she's resident mm-hmm. Andretti uh, fan of the bunch of us here. So, you know, Zoe, mm-hmm. the floor is yours. Um, my Andretti's wife, Diane, passed away during the week at the age of 75. Um, she first met Mario at a church dance. She, she then taught him English and fell in love with them and they got married. He he was trying to be a racer, he wanted to do racing and she gave him his she got she worked in a factory and she gave him her pay slip. She worked in that factory until she was almost due with Michael to make sure that Mario could afford the parts for his racing. As Mario's success grew, and he, he sort of, as she put, when when he won the Indy 500, she realised he wasn't her husband anymore. She had to share him. She kind of pulled back a bit. She focused on the family, raised the kids, taught the boys how to play baseball and all that. Um, attended every like um, graduation award ceremony. When the rest of the family couldn't, mm-hmm. basically being the pillar. <laughs> um, yeah. And it's one of those things because you you get a like you look at a lot of the other drivers from that generation, so and it's you've got Mario and you have Mario and Diane, and you've got Jackie Stewart and Helen. Like they've been together this entire time. Like it's just even now it's so rare now. It's like or even then it was so rare to stick mm-hmm. stay together. And that was it. They together so long. And I mean <laughs> like um McCall, um the sort of the the area's paper put out a really nice piece. 
which I had to go through uh, archive to actually read, um, talking about um, how how much support she was from Ariel, even though she wasn't always at the race with him and that. And yeah. <laughs> but the one thing that kind of annoyed me was the first thing we heard about it was mm-hmm. a racer magazine, a racer article by Robin Miller. It wouldn't be for another three hours until Marco tweeted that Diane had passed away. Um, and you had the statements coming from IndyCar, from Andretti Autosport, condolences from others. It then turned out that what Razor had... What, what, not so much right, Robin Miller had put as the cause of death wasn't the cause of death. Oh dear. Yeah. Yeah, it... It it doesn't it doesn't need to be dwelled on. Diane Andretti mm-hmm. was a wonderful woman. Mm-hmm. Um, it was it was very unscrupulous at how it was handled. It it doesn't need to be glorified. Mm-hmm. Diane Andretti deserves a lot more credit for um, being basically the matriarch of the Andretti family. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like the one I, thing about the the feature in the morning call, the, the Lehigh Valley mm-hmm. local paper that I love is the way it closes, where it ends quote. Deanne was once asked what advice she would give to the the wives of other race car drivers. Quote, don't give advice. Everyone deals with things in their own way. The last thing anyone wants to hear is everything will be all right. That was Deanne Hockendretti, a special woman with a special mission all the way to the checkered flag. Just one other thing. Um... One of the first times Mario went to the Indy 500 and there was a big crash and Mario was scared. Diane just held his hand. Like, she she hated that he raced. She hated the fact that then Michael went into racing and they raced against each other. And, but so, she was did always... her, and so did her nephew John and so did her younger son Jeff mm-hmm. and so did her grandson Marco. And, yes. And his, her grandnephew, her, her grandnephew, uh, Jarrett, as well. Yeah, because yeah, like, uh, like a lot of the feature is back from like a couple years ago when they interviewed her for mm-hmm. uh, a Mother's Day special, and uh-huh. ninety-four. Like, yeah, uh, no, like five, like a more recent interview than the ninety-four interview, because they like interviewed her like a couple times. So, mm-hmm. uh, one of the things that she. Like she realized her life was not going to be normal is when Mario finally won the Indianapolis 500, and she mm-hmm. she she hated that she realized that Mario wasn't going to be just hers anymore; that he was mm-hmm. now a public figure. Uh huh. I don't know. To me, that that took, like that showed me that she really loved Mario. That she mm-hmm. <laughs> and she despised that that pretty much that she had to share Mario for most of her life. Mm-hmm. it's one of those like long distance relationships are always hard especially if you've got someone who's there and then they're travelling away for work it's always going to be hard it's easy to just become bitter towards the other person but I mean you ask Mario about Deanne and it's literally 
Yeah, I wouldn't be racing if mm. it wasn't for her. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like, this isn't just like my sweetheart. This is this is the woman that's the reason that I'm standing here as where the legends of motorsport. Like, yeah, I have the exact quote here. The year he won was eye-opening. That's when I felt. I don't know if I really like this because then I didn't have my husband anymore. He was a he was public territory, and I did not appreciate that. I ended up learning to live with it because that's a part of the whole industry. But I did have a problem with it. Boy, yeah, I'm not have much to say on this one because, again, my my knowledge and overall experience on American motorsport is always limited, and I could never say anything to do it justice. But um. Rest in peace, Deanne, and um, f- thanks. <laughs> yeah, thanks for your support and, you know, <laughs> the openings you've given to so many people and basically being, you know, the, f- the first lady of a true motorsporting dynasty that continues to go on to this day. And, uh, whew, man, that's, that's a blow. That's, an, that's, that's a shame. And I'm not, I'm not going to dwell on some of the bad reporting regarding it because it's not about that. At least, at least from where I'm sitting, but it's a shame mm-hmm. that you know, some of it had to come out how it did, but mm-hmm. it doesn't take away from the overall message. Just before we get out of here, King, um, a couple of things you wanted to mention from Goodwood? Yes. It, 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 a couple updates over the past couple of weeks that, you know, first of all, it, it's it's kind of sad that this is kind of like one of the least important things about Goodwood this year, but it's the first time the Borg Warner Trophy will leave North America. Uh, well, well, it'll be the first time it'll head to Europe. It went to Asia for the first time last year. But yeah, the yeah, first time... I was time... about to say, it was Epo Tanky. I saw that. Yeah. We got to watch Mark Marco ride on the Super Cups. <laughs> but the first time the Borg Warner Trophy will venture across the Atlantic to Europe to be displayed at the Goodwood Festival of Speed. And that's kind of, like, one of the least important things here. Dre, do you think we can still get tickets? <laughs> Depends. Do you feel like remortgaging your mother's house? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll, take, I'll, I'll take that as a no. Or as it's known, the, the fifth annex of the sin bin. <laughs> the fifth annex of the sin bin. What, 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 what's the going rate on a kidney these days? Um, I only need one, right? Uh, and half a lover. Your liver regrows. Ah, <laughs> oh, your liver regrows. That's true. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, there's, there's hope. There's hope. But my my liver is good. I don't, I don't drink, so you know my liver is perfect. But yeah, we're we're gonna have a showdown between not only two German two German cars and two German companies, but they're sister companies because Volkswagen has mm-hmm. announced that they intend to climb the hill. At Goodwood, with the Pikes Peak record-holding IDR, uh, it's pretty much assumed that uh, Romain Dumas would be behind the wheel again. But earlier, Fire. earlier this year, Porsche already announced that the 919 Evo will be doing a run at Goodwood with Mark Webber behind the wheel. At that point in time, oh my god! Yeah, at that point in time, uh, Mark Webber didn't think it was going to be like serious. Like quote from Mark Webber. Uh, I'm gonna have I'm gonna have a bit of a go at some point, but it's just for fun. I'm gonna be pushing pushing it for a time anyway, anywhere. But it'll be nice to have a, a little feel of that. And it's like things have changed now, Mark. Yeah, <laughs> like Mark, Mark, this is serious now. 
Yeah. Yeah, honestly, fuck May Gregor, fuck Canelo, uh, Canelo Triple G, <laughs> fuck Miocic versus Cormier, uh, fuck Hogan versus Flair. This is the super fight of the century. Yes. Yes, it is. Oh, that's good. that's gonna be amazing. Like like I am gonna need a box of tissues to get me through that those hill runs. That's gonna be amazing. Um right there and then. Uh like is this, you know it's gonna be like it's gonna be like playing Grand Turismo six and having to take on the Goodwood Hill climb in the Red Bull X twenty ten. It's gonna be that level of carnage, basically. And I I can't wait to see how it turns out. That's gonna be great. God please, no one put it in the wall. No one put it in the wall. No one no one go full Chris Hoy, please. No one go full Chris Hoy. Um, do not park it in the fence, for the love of God. Um, <laughs> but that'll just about do it for this week of Motorsport 101. Um, an absolutely loaded show going just under two hours in the end, but uh, fun times are all involved. Um, Tracy, you can find us one more time, YouTube and Facebook.com forward slash Motorsport 101. We are on Twitter at Harrison101HD, at Ryan Eric King, at Wee Zoe, and at RJ O'Connell. And of course, our Twitter handle is at Motorsport underscore 101. And if you really, really like us, you can back us on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Motorsport 101. Five dollars gets you early access to both this show and to Bike Live, which will be back later this weekend with episode sixty-eight, with, with featuring full reviews of World Superbikes at Misano, where only three things in life are certain: death, taxes, and Jonathan Ray winning. But he had to really actually work for this one as well, especially in race two. Race two is a fantastic race. Three, three guys, three different manufacturers. 0.6 of a second covering them all over the line between Jonathan Ray, Michael Vandermark, and Marco Melandri. Well worth a watch if you haven't seen it already for that. And BSB at Knock Hill as well with Leon Haslam and Jake Dixon splitting wins um, in the Kawasaki's as well as Danny Bucken getting a pair of podiums as well. Really cool to see. And a few words, I'm sure, on the passing of William Dunlop, who sadly passed away this past weekend in a road racing accident really sad to hear about that one and the roads have claimed another one and a really good one and so yeah rest in peace to william dunlop as well we'll obviously talk more about that on bike live later this week so until next time i've been andre harrison they have been ryan king rj o'connell and zoe hamilton until next time we'll catch you back here for episode 150 of motorsport 101 uh God, that's really, really old to say with 150 shows. That's ridiculous. Until then, until then, sayonara. Later, y'all. Bye. Bye. You know we've made it, King, when we can actually now to actually legitimately put together a clip show. <laughs> Next is syndication. Next is syndication. <laughs> this, is, this is the second best thing I've heard since the story about how our Cook's brother, uh, who worked at a domino, stumbled upon Simon Whitlock, the darts player, drunk off his ass, just trying to order pizza. <laughs> pizza that sounds amazing. Now I cannot imagine professional darts player Simon Whitlock drunkenly asking the Domino's man for a boneless pizza and a two-liter Coke. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs>